This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I'm going to carry on with week six of At the Core. For those that have been around the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been covering um, some different ideas and concepts or principles that have been uh, giving away kind of who we are as a church. It's our core values. It's, it's at, literally at the core of who we are. It's been that way for 11 plus years since we started the church back in September of 2008. Um, and it will continue on because we believe that these are fundamentally, foundationally scriptural. They're biblical and it's very core. And we want to make sure as a church that we stand upon the word of God in everything we do. We were joking up here earlier about the yellow hat and the, the red little hat. Although, honey, that was very cute. I like that hat. Um, but for those that are married and you've been doing the, the colors, it's actually been really funny, some of the conversations that you can have as you're discussing the differences and some of the default modes that each of us have and the things that we talk about, the things that we love to, to, to process through, and not just what we process through, but how we process through those things. How many know that you and your spouse process that different for those that are married here this morning? Right. And it's those differences that make your relationship so beautiful, isn't it? Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Some people are like, yeah, right. All right. Okay. But I want to I go back in time, if it's okay. I'm going to go back 19 years ago. 19 years. Six months, 11 days. I'm off. Thank you, Lord. I could do math. Woo! All right. But I want to take you back to a moment where I met the woman of my dreams. It's Sandra. Just so you know, I just want to clarify. Okay. Some of you are looking like, who's he talking about? Okay. All right. Definitely Sandra. Okay. Woo! All right. Well, that was good. That's all right. All right. Wow. Mm. But I want to tell you the conversations that went on in the first two to three months that we started connecting. Because within those conversations were some of the most amazing learning moments for me to not only learn about her Finnish heritage her African roots and her African influence, because she was born in Tanzania, to Finnish parents, but was raised in Sweden, but loved Canada. And you start to see the African influences, and you start to see the Finnish influences, and you start to see the Swedish influences, although I'm sure Sandra would want me to tell you this morning that they're so minuscule you can't even see them because she's not a fan. Just saying... And now the Canadian influences. But what's been interesting about this journey is that what was the root, the anchor of every conversation and every step along the way was not the Finnish influence or the Tanzania influence or the Swedish influence or the Canadian-to-be influence, but it was the influence of Christ in her life. But something that was really beautiful for me, getting to know her in the, in the early days, was seeing all of these different things influencing her life, and yet all of them making her who she is. 
And if you take one of those elements away, she wouldn't be her. Not at all. And it comes out in many different forms and in many different ways. Where I was boring. I was boring. Where are you from? Oshawa. Where, where are you, where, where'd you grow up? Oshawa. Where'd you go to school? Oshawa. Where was your first job? Oshawa. Where'd you buy your first car? Oshawa. But then I rebelled and I bought a Chrysler. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Forget GM. And then I learned, don't buy a Chrysler. And then I really learned, don't buy a Ford. Toyota is the way to go. <laughs> Japanese cars. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And if anyone is from Oshawa is here, I will deny what I just said. And we will make sure we cut it from the tape. Or the 8-track. Depending on what we do. Depending on what we do with it. Okay. All right. But I want you to understand it from this very simple perspective. Sandra had a very definite culture. And I love that about her. Our kids love that about her. And there's so many little nuances of her life. But I want you to understand that it was ingrained in her. And it became foundational for everything that she did. But I also want you to understand this morning... That culture when it comes to church is so important. If you want to understand the heartbeat of any church, no matter where you go, you can go to Hillsong, something as large as Hillsong, or you can go to a little house church that's meeting in someone's basement, and everywhere in between, and you're going to find that each and every church has a unique culture. Sometimes it's a set of values, it's a vision, it's a mission, it's all these different things. But every single church has a culture. And I want to say to you this morning, culture is a very powerful thing. You go school to school to school, and they have a unique culture. You go family to family to family, and they have a unique culture. Some more unique than others, but they have a culture, okay? So I want you to understand that every church, similar to everything else, a church has a culture, okay? Carrie Newhoff said it like this, culture is invisible but determinative. You can't see it, but it defines so much. I couldn't agree more with Carrie Newhoff's take on culture, okay? So interestingly enough, there's actually a biblical word, a Greek word, for the word culture, and it's the word ethos. And it literally means the distinguishing character, moral nature, or guiding beliefs of a person, group, or institution. So in other words, every church, just like every individual in every family, has in ethos. Andrew Herbert said it like this, culture is important because it shapes everything about the way things are done in the church. Strategies easily come and go, but culture is deeply embedded and difficult to change. How many have ever heard in a church that is struggling, that is not doing well, that the attendance keeps going down, 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 where the response is, Well, this is how we've always done it. You ever heard that? And they're down to three people. But they're not willing to change because this is how we've always done it. So I want to say that because culture is a powerful thing. And if your culture is not embedded into the word of God and based upon scripture then what's happening is is you're putting more and more emphasis on your methodology rather than your principles. But it can't be that way. How many know methods change? 
Principles never do. There was a, an interesting phenomenon in the late 70s, for those that love church histories, late, late 70s, early 80s, and it became part of what is commonly known today as the shepherding movement. And what came out of that was this concept of small groups. And they were like, wow, what a great idea. It's like the Bible days. They kind of did the same thing. Maybe we should try. And what happened was this incredible growth movement in the 80s because of small group ministry. How do I know it was a God idea? Because we're still doing them. 40 years later, we're still doing them. And I could argue 2,000 years later, we're still doing them. But you know what's unique about small group ministry? Small group ministry based upon community is the principle that's never changed. How you do small groups has changed thousands of times over. The small groups that were run at our church in the 1980s are different than the ones that are run in many churches today. Is that a bad thing? Absolutely not. But the principle of community stays the same. All right, I just wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page with that. I want to read a, uh, a verse in the Bible. It's in Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read the Message Bible. Uh, for those that are uh, new to church, whenever you see kind of the verses up on screen, I always have in brackets the version. So for those that are maybe want to find out what the kind of the Bible verses are and what's going on with that, we have the book of the Bible, the chapter of the Bible, the verse of the Bible, and then the version of the Bible. So in this case, it's called the Message Bible. And a great resource to kind of get to know some of those things is called BibleGateway.com. If you've ever been on there, it's a great resource. If you're brand new to the faith, it's a great resource for you to be able to track along with this. But this version is what they call a modern-day version. It's not a direct translation. It's a paraphrase, but it really gives an incredible, cool little insight into how culture affects things. So I want to read it to you this morning. It says this, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. Okay? So here's what I want to do. I'm setting you all up for a very simple thought. Over the next three Sundays, Sandra and I are going to be sharing about three core cultural ethos issues of our church that we believe in, we swear by, we absolutely uh, prioritize in our church, and our leadership, and everything that we do. So, I want to start with the first one. Are you guys ready for the first one? That was weak. Are you ready? Where's my yellows? Come on. Oh, hey, all right, okay. Thank you. And the blues are like, can't they just be quiet? And the greens are like, I just want peace in this place. Can't we all just calm down? And the reds are like, get to the message you are delaying. You are taking far too long to get to your point. You married me. <laughs> I love it. You're stuck. Okay, all right. Okay, moving right along. Here's the first one. Character before charisma. You say, what in the world's charisma? Well, we know it as kind of a charismatic personality or having charisma. But it's actually the Greek word for gifting. So what I'm talking about as one of our core values and one of our ethos issues is character before gifting. I want to read a, a passage in Isaiah chapter 49. It's one of the 
what they call the major prophets in the Old Testament. Really, really amazing book. Actually, the, the absolute most references in the entire Old Testament to Jesus is in the book of Isaiah. Powerful book. And he said this in verse 49, chap, uh, sorry, chapter 49, verse 2. And he said, he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me. And get this, he made me a polished shaft. And in his quiver, he has hidden me. I want to I use this theme. I want to use this thought of an arrow as an illustration. And I'm just going to throw up the arrow on the screen. And I'm going to describe it as I go here so that you understand. The arrowhead is what would represent your giftings, your abilities, your desires, your talents, all of those things, where the shaft of the arrow represents your character or your fruit, if you can call it, you know, New Testament fruit of the Spirit, or your integrity, you can say that too, but I'm going to just call it character, and we're going to call the arrowhead gifting. And here is the problem with this entire thought behind this, and this is why I want to explain this to you this morning. Most Christians love to sharpen their arrowhead so that it is so perfectly sharp and so perfectly on point. What do I mean by that? It means you work on your gifting. You get better at it. You strengthen that. You, you, you become the best that you can possibly be. Is there anything wrong with that? No. But far too many believers sharpen their arrowhead, their gifting, at the expense of working on their character. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. You can pull that arrow back. You can aim at the target. And you can have your arrowhead as sharp as anything. But if the shaft of your arrow is crooked, you'll let go and you're going to miss the mark every single time. And interestingly enough, the word sin means to miss the mark. I'm not saying that if you do that, you're in sin. What I'm saying is I think it leads to a pattern of potential sin. Why? Because we get so wrapped up in what we're good at and our giftings and our abilities and our strengths and our talent and all these things that we actually don't pour into the most important thing, which is your character. We have countless examples in the world today of talented, gifted politicians without an ounce of character. And I don't say that to go, oh, yeah, they're so bad, and we're going to, mm, yeah. And I'm saying that to say, we need to pray. But it also reveals something in our culture that actually looks for those types of people. So what it's actually revealing is a culture that's wrong, not just a leader that's wrong. We get that? Okay. So. Uh, youth pastor at the church I grew up in. I actually didn't have him as a youth pastor because he came up after me. His name's Jeff Kelly. And uh, mom will remember Jeff, wherever mom is. But he said this one night. I was, it was one of those after prayer nights and the spirit of God was moving. It was one of the most powerful times in our church's history. And he said this. He stood up in front of the entire group. And he said, don't ever let the gift of God take you where the character of God can't keep you. Don't ever let the gift of God take you where the character of God can't keep you. Why? Because it's doomed for failure. It's doomed for a mess. When we come to Christ, we enter into this process that the Bible 
talks about as being called discipleship. And it's a very churchy word. It's a very Christianese kind of word. But I want to explain to you kind of what it means. A disciple literally means that you are like the one who is training you. So when we're called a Christian, it literally means we should become more like Christ. So that when people see us, they're not seeing Simon or they're not seeing Sandra or they're not seeing Ken or Shanna or, or Tia or anyone else. They're seeing Christ. Good? So discipleship involves this basic little thought that we are to become like the one we are mentored by. Okay? So part of this process is what God wants to develop in us. He wants us to bear the family image. How many have ever seen Hannah, seen Sandra standing within, oh, say, 5,000 feet of her, and go, wow, we know whose daughter that is. <laughs> Whoa, spinning image. And you know what's crazy? We have this little mug at our house of a friend of ours gave us this mug almost, I'm going to say 11 years ago, or 10 years ago, and it's a picture of of Hannah when she was three. And every time we give out the mug to somebody, it's one of those cool mugs. It's black when you get it, but then you pour hot water in it, and it changes to the picture. Really cool. It's like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I get excited about this. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I'm yellow. <laughs> That's awesome, right? That's what I do. I've lost count how many times we've handed this mug out to people in our church as they come over for a visit, and they go, oh, Abigail's so cute, this picture. And we go, That's Hannah. They went, whoa, so the apple is not falling far from the tree. Sandra, Hannah, Abby, they're just spitting images of one another. It's so funny. But I want to say this for a very specific reason, that the entire goal of Christ in your life is to make you look like him. The problem is, is everything in our culture says, get better with what you do. Christ says, get better with who you are. And can I say to you this morning that your ability to do will be exponentially better if you are more concerned about becoming more like Christ. Problem with that, if we're being honest this morning, the problem with being more like Christ starts from the presupposition that one of us is perfect and one of us isn't. And last time I checked, it's not Jesus that's got to work on things. So how many know we're naturally drawn towards what we're gifted at because it's fun? It's exciting. We get to do stuff. This is awesome. Character building is about as much fun. It's watching the Leafs win the Stanley Cup in the last 53 years. Pray for me. Because it doesn't happen. Ever. 53 years and counting this year. Not that I'm counting. I have, a little, I have a little mark on my wall in the basement with 53 different lines. I'm counting. It's awful. Oh, thank you, Jesus. But when our gifting grows beyond our character... Failure is certain. Character development, unfortunately, takes much more effort. It takes much more work. Oh, 
But here's what I want you to hear this morning. Too many people try to shortcut God's character-developing season because of an eagerness to function in their gifting. And in the end, it becomes a mess. How many know that my seven-year-old is not ready to drive a car yet? She thinks she is. But she's not. Although, I wouldn't mind seeing her try, just saying. But that would be fun. Just saying. It's fun. I'm telling you, she's crazy. She'll do anything. There's, there's no fear in that one. And she's so funny. But I want to say it like this, this whole thought like this. It is your character that gives your gifting credibility. It's your character that gives your gifting credibility. It's our relationship with God that determines our character. The more we're tracking with God, the more he refines our character. The more we say, no, thank you, God, the more that that process stops. Okay? But what's interesting here is it's our character that sustains any relationship. Okay? Gift-focused people are more focused on the gifts of the Spirit. Character-focused people are more concerned with the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because they understand that gifts show their ministry, but fruit shows their maturity. And it's maturity that compels and, and, and develops and actually acts like a launch pad for your gifting. Okay? I want to read a, a quote from Rita and Dennis Bennett's book. From It's called The Holy Spirit in You. I love this book. It says, don't follow a person just because he has a gift ministry. Instead, look for fruit in his life, for honesty and purity brought about by the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, and a hunger for and an appreciation of God's Word. Remember, Christians don't follow signs. Signs follow Christians. Love that. I want to share uh, just a brief thought here. And I've been thinking about this. Actually, the thought hit me this morning of all times on the drive-in. And I just felt like the Spirit of God was nudging me to share this. This was not in my notes, but I feel to share it. I'm going to address two different age groups for a second. I'm going to address everybody under the age of 30 and everyone over the age of 30. Okay? You ready? Not that I think that's the magic line. It could be 35 and under and 35 and over, but I'm going to picture somewhere in their early 30s. Okay? And I'm going to tell you what I have personally witnessed for years. Are you ready for this? Too many people under the age of 30, this does not mean... That this is a set in stone, everyone does it. But I want to warn you, if you're a youth, young adult, and you're tracking with the things of God, one of the things that I've seen over and over and over and over and over again are people that are drawn to powerful, gift-focused ministries or gift-focused people who do not have character, who don't, are not accountable to anybody and do their own thing. But, man, they're pretty powerful because they can prophesy like you don't believe. Wow. Wow. And I want to warn you, for those people, just politely say, hey, thank you so much. I'm going to just keep loving and serving Jesus. Bless you. How many times have we seen this where people are blown away by gifts and they fizzle out six months later, a year later, and those people are lost and frustrated and then wondering where God is in the whole mess. I want to warn you as a pastor, young people, do not fall for gifting. Make sure character's big. All right, anyone over the age of 30-ish, 35, I'm going to hit you hard. Are you ready for this one? Don't get caught in the trap of calling suspicion discernment. 
Too many of us say, we're just discerning. When in reality, it's suspicion, and it's based in fear, not in faith. We have the opposite problem the older we get. We run away from gifting because we've been burned by those people. And now everything that we see is we see through a lens of suspicion, but we call it discernment because it's a scriptural word and it makes us feel smarter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're just discerning, Pastor. Mm-mm. You're fearful. And because of it, you're suspicious of everyone and everything. And what God wants us to have is faith for the awesomeness of God, which includes the gifts of the Spirit, but the wisdom to follow those that are in character only. Who's the character people? Who's the fruit people? Who's the integrity people? Those are the people we want to track with. Because you'll be drawn to the other, trust me. How many have ever seen a really gifted leader fall? And then you find out after the fact that the reason they fell is because they had no... Yep. No character. We've seen people leave God, leave church, leave, leave, literally leave God because of a leader that fell because of a lack of character in their life. Just can't happen. Absolutely cannot happen. Because it's too precious of a time to know that. So I want to land on one verse that I'm going to keep going. John 15, 16. One of my favorite verses in the entire New Testament because it talks about this process of character that I love. It says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and what? Oh, character. Okay, have character, integrity, fruit. That your what? Fruit should. Oh. I'm going to tell you an embarrassing story of my life. This is before I was married and before I had children. And I had this really big problem, and my mom's going to start laughing as soon as I say this. Where's mom? Is she here? Lights are there. She is. Mom's going to start laughing as soon as I say this. Um, because she knows it's true, and, and, uh, and I embarrassed myself royally too many times to ever admit. I had um, what I would like to call a very strong belief in what I thought. Otherwise known as very opinionated. And I would have opinions about people's marriages and how to raise children before I was married and before I had children. And every once in a while, I actually let them slip out of my mouth. It's like, if they just stayed in there, I think I would have been okay, because God would smack me around every once in a while. But they slipped out of my mouth. And then you get these looks where they're like, I know you're a nice guy, but I want to beat the tar out of you right now. So I'm trying to discern whether I should give you the right hand of fellowship or just pray for you. Here's what I've realized. You know what the problem with character process is? Is the person who determines you're ready is not you, it's God. <sighs> now, I have, I have, my opinions have gotten less and less and less and less and less over the years. But if you ask me, I'll, I'll tell you kind of what we've done as a married couple in parenting. I don't think we have a lot to share. But we have little things to share. But what I want to get across to you this morning is simply this. Fruit takes time. Fruit takes process. Character takes process. Character takes preparation. Character takes seasons where it's not always happy-go-lucky and hunky-dory. Character is often developed in the season that we don't want. 
in a package we never asked for with people that we're struggling to love right now. But he puts them in our lives. Okay, so I want to share with you very briefly four basic little thoughts, and I'm going to come in for a close. We're going to pray, and we're going to go eat lots of food all weekend long. Okay. Coming back to Isaiah 49, I'm going to do one, verse 1, 2, and 3, and it's going to literally give away these four words that talk about the process of God in the character development phase of your life. Are you ready? Okay, verse 1 says, The Lord has called me from the womb. The Lord has called. Say called. Okay. He's called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me. Say hidden. Okay. And made me a polished shaft. Say polished. In his quiver, he has hidden me. And verse 3 in the NIV, which is the New International Version, it says, And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display, say display, my splendor. Four thoughts, four basic keys to what God does in the character development phase of your life, the parts that we don't like. Number one, he's called you. In other words, there's an identity that he gives you. Here's the root issue of where so many people get off is their identity is in what they're good at. Their identity is in, is in you know, what they can do for somebody else. Their identity is in their ministry to others. And my response to that is, no, your identity has to be simply that God loves you. That you are a child of God. That you are a son or a daughter of the king. That you are loved incredibly much by your heavenly Father. And there's nothing you can do that would make Him love you less or more because you are a child of God. That's your identity. And what often happens is, in the character-building process, is God starts to put a little light on those things that have greater value to you than it should. Recognition. Right? All of those different things. Okay, second thought is this. Hidden. What does hidden mean? Humility. Humility. Somebody shared this verse with me a number of years ago, and I hated what he said to me. I'm being brutally honest. There was ungodly thoughts going through my mind when this guy was sharing this next thought with me. He said, have you ever realized that when you want to plant something, whether it's a, a flower or a tree or a bush or a, you know, a, a vegetable or whatever it is that you want to plant, that there's this process that goes on where you plant the seed and you don't see nothing for a while. It's like, and this is what God does. In his infinite wisdom, he gives you, and he gives you these talents. And he's like, I just love you, and you're going to be used so powerfully one day. And they're like, okay, Lord, I'm ready. Nope. Where are you going to go? In the ground but it's cold. I know. It's dirty. Oh, it's bad, especially when it rains. And I want you to stay there and let the roots start to go down deep so that when trials come, you are immovable. I said, but I don't like being hidden. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that, God. And here's the balance, because there's some churches that will teach stuff like this, and they go to such an extreme. It's crazy. Here's the balance. What are you gifted at? Do it. While actively, intentionally, strategically working on your character. 
Okay? That's my balance. I think that's good. I think that's healthy. Three, polished. What does polished mean? It actually means refined. So there's a refining process. God's refining. He's chiseling away all the edges. He's sandpapering off the edges. How many have ever met someone where they had a little bit of edges to them? Where some scenario created something in them that didn't look too godly. And you're like, I thought that person was nice. We all thought so. (laughs) We don't know what happened. You know? But there's this refining process that happens. I believe that can happen while you're functioning in your gifting. Absolutely. But there's got to be an intentionality to it. The fourth one is this. It says to be displayed. God loves to display his children. He loves it. He loves to talk about what they can do for him. He loves to show them off. He loves to put your picture on his fridge. He loves to have your trophy in his trophy case so he can see it. And he loves to show off his trophies. And you're his trophy because you're his trophies of grace. But you have to understand that when he displays you, he wants to display you so that when you're displayed, it doesn't destroy you. He wants to display you so that you can thrive. One of the most difficult things, I think, being a pastor is this one here. I struggle with this. Because I know from my own life, if you display somebody too quickly, they're going to fall. If you, if you get them into that thing, that position that they think they're called to and ready for, they're going to they're gonna fall. And what's going to happen is they're going to be discouraged. They're going to blame God. They're going to probably blame us. They're going to blame a whole bunch of other people. But the problem is, is what we want to see happen is a readiness factor so that the moment the green light's on, you are not only going, but you are exponentially messing with the enemy's camp. And there's nothing that anything can happen that will absolutely trip you up at any time, anywhere, any place. That's what we want to see. I love Philippians chapter 2. There was a Timothy sharing with uh, the church at Philippi, and he's, or sorry, Paul sharing with Timothy uh, at the church at Philippi, and he's saying this, for all seek their own and the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. So you have to understand who you are determines what you do. So what's character? Very quickly, it means a notch, a stamp, an identification on stone or metal. It is a distinctive mark that is impressed upon an individual from either external or internal uh, forces, right? And what our hope and prayer is, this is why we say character before gifting or character before charisma, is that my hope and prayer is that it's, in, it's internal. How many have ever parented and ever had to bring external forces to help bring your child's internal heart in line? And as much as I don't think that's wrong, what we often want to do is we want to parent their heart. I want their heart. I want my kid's heart. I don't want them just to obey because they have to obey. I want them to obey because they love to please Jesus with their life. Right? So it's the same thing from a spiritual family perspective. Is God is training our hearts to be more like him and to follow him. Amen? One of the things I find very interesting is in the Bible, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 3, or sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, it talks about all these different qualifications for people that would be elders or pastors in churches and for deacons, those that would serve in the house of God. 
And in every single case, it doesn't say have a Bible college degree, although I think that's good. I think that's very good. It doesn't say that you have to have the top personality and, you know, type A leader that can drive a ship. No, it doesn't say that either. It actually says character. And the next list, it's character. And the next list, it's character. It's just character. Character, character, character. That's all that Paul was focused on when he was talking about that. Okay? Psalm 86, verse 1, it says this, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. God, our heart's desire is that we would be like him. Integrity is the very core of your character. It determines what you do with your finances. It determines what you do with your family. It determines what you do at work, how hard you work, how not hard you work. It determines how you relate to people. It determines your social life, your personal life. It determines everything. But what I want you to do from this moment on, if you haven't already been tracking with us before, is I want you to make character, integrity, fruit, the number one focus of your life. Why is this so important? Well, we see this twofold, or threefold, really. I see this as a parent. I see this as a spiritual parent, in a sense, pastoring a church. Um, But I also see this from a broader church perspective. This is incredibly important. Andy Stanley said it like this. Healthy people are drawn to healthy cultures. Healthy people don't stay in unhealthy places. They just don't. One thing that I've learned throughout my years in church, because I've been in church pretty much my whole life, is I've seen good, healthy church cultures. I've seen unhealthy church cultures. I've seen everything in between. And as humans, obviously, I don't think there's any such thing as a perfect church, because if you're looking for one, this is not it. But I want you to understand this is something we take very seriously. Health is far more important to us than growth. Why? Because healthy things grow. Craig Rochelle said this, your culture is a combination of what you create and catch this, what you allow. There are too many churches in the world today, especially in North America, that are allowing so many things that are actually diluting their Christ-like character and culture, but are gathering people in droves. You want to know why? Because those people are culture setters, culture people that just Want things easy. Don't, don't talk about that, Pastor. That's, no, that, that, don't talk about that. Okay. And my response is, character is the launch pad for your gifting. Amen? So at our church, we celebrate character. We celebrate godly fruit. We celebrate those things. Because we know that at the end of the day, it's that character that's going to bless people and, and come from a purity of heart that will let them know that they have been loved by Jesus in that moment. That's our heart. That's our prayer. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.